Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? It's Tuesday again, and that means it's time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the plant science. And as always, I am just so thrilled to be with you today. How's it going for you? Are you doing well? Y'all, this episode is bomb. Are the kids still saying that? Bomb, the bomb.com? Fresh to death? Rad? Radical? Anyway, so you've heard me talk the past couple of weeks about our new partnership with Forest Proud, a great nonprofit organization supporting forest climate solutions. And as part of that, I got to get to know just a little bit Ray Timlin, who is the Director of Partner Experience and Outreach for Forest Proud. So Ray was the one that reached out to me. Uh, I guess she's a listener of the show, which again, is still wild to me that such cool people listen to this, like all you cool people. Anyway, so Ray reached out uh, a while back, a few months ago, and we started talking about what a partnership might look like. And through that, I got to make a cool new friend. And I've really enjoyed getting to know Ray just a little bit. And, and talking to her as we developed this partnership, I thought, you know what? This is a really smart person who would be a really great guest for the show. And she was gracious enough to agree to come on. So uh, Ray has done a lot of things. And her background is actually in sociology and anti-poverty. And she spent a lot of time working in and studying the ways that the environment, trees, uh, equitable access to nature can actually combat some of the inequalities we see in our society and some of the uh, big problems that are out there. So we talked a lot about that. We talked about what Forest Proud is and what Forest Proud does. We talked about climate solutions and the things we should be doing. And Ray gave me what I think is the very best definition of sustainability that I've ever heard. And I can't wait for you to hear it too. So y'all, this is such a good one. Um, Thanks for being with us today. And I really hope you enjoy episode 76 of Planthropology, Tree Equity, Being Forest Proud, and the Joy of Common Things with Ray Tamlin. I mentioned recently, and actually we talked about it in the last episode, how there's a new partnership between Planthropology and Forest Proud. And I have Ray Tamblin here with me from Forest Pat Proud, the person who reached out to me and uh, first started talking to me about this. And I'm excited to interview her today. So uh, how are you doing today, Ray? I am doing well. It is actually warm in the Midwest for the first time in a while. So I'm going to get outside for a walk after this for my own mental well-being. Nature RX for the win. Yeah, there you go. It is not warm here, believe it or not, in Texas. It's um, it was, I think, 12 degrees when I woke up this morning as we record this. Oh, man. It should yeah, never be. It should never be warmer uh, in the Midwest than in Texas. I think. <laughs> it it's does feel wrong. that way, right? Yeah, it does. It doesn't feel right. But next week we'll be back in the 60s and all will be right. With the yeah, world. we'll be back in the 20s. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Just flip flop back around. You know, life, life yeah. will get back into balance. It comes around. So, Ray, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up? What'd you study? What do you do? All the all the fun stuff, whatever you think that we should know. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I actually 
slid sideways into this entire green world. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at guessing at green because that's kind of how <laughs> I slid into the entire thing. Um, I studied sociology, anthropology, racial studies, and multicultural studies and women's studies. So absolutely on the surface, nothing in common with <laughs> ecology, plants, trees, forestry, none of it. Um, you know, so I, I, I graduated college and I kind of did the quote unquote expected career path and started working in social services and in poverty and anti-poverty alleviation work. And then I kind of <laughs> found myself spending a lot of my weekends doing um, urban parks and green spaces and spending a lot of time planting trees in my free time for a local organization in DC called Casey Trees. And that was around the time when I really started to realize you could get paid to do this because I didn't <laughs> study I didn't study the, uh, the the right things, you know, like I always knew I was interested in the environment and plants and the connections between plants and people, but I didn't study anything in STEM. So I didn't realize I could actually do it. Um, and it was probably a six year journey to figure out that not only could I get paid to do it, I could also find other people <laughs> who were paid to do it and just as excited <laughs> and then talk to them. That's fun. And it's interesting. I, I like that you said you kind of slid into it sideways, but were like, have you always been passionate about nature? You kind of mentioned that it was something you were interested in, but like, did you grow up hiking or spending time outdoors or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, well, not really in your traditional sense. I uh, grew up on the periphery of the military brat world. My dad okay. worked for the state department. So we bounced around quite a bit, but if there was one thing that's consistent, it's uh, birds and trees. Okay. So <laughs> anytime it was going outside, you can always find something green and something familiar. Um, but I was always really interested in it, but I never, it never occurred to me to study it. So I always did it in my free time, like hiking and bird watching. My dad's huge into birding. Uh, so we did it together, but it never occurred to me that I could have studied it. That's cool. So when you, okay, I, I am not a birder. I can identify things that are birds so like i'll see a bird and i'm like hey that, a that's bird. a bird and i know two or three of them um you know, I'm, I'm in texas so i know what a mockingbird is because we're required to to stay in the state and like i know what a cardinal is because they're bright red and that's you know that works for me um but in general like the whole like world of birding is sort of foreign to me and my wife was a wildlife major in college and um her favorite was ornithology and stuff like that. But when you say your dad was really into birding, did y'all like travel around to like follow birds and stuff? Uh, well, I mean, we kind of already did that because we, he was in the state department. So we relocated every two to three okay. years. And so you just kind of defaulted into a whole new bird world every couple of years. Um, so we kind of accidentally did the big bird life list. <laughs> That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. I have a friend that, uh, like I'll see his stuff on Facebook and every now and then he's like, I'm flying to Alaska because bird. And I'm like, Oh, that's <laughs> cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite at that level just in terms of, I'm more of 
at this point in my in my day job, which is also my personal and professional life, as you know, it all blows together. <laughs> um, but at this point, it's much more of a casual thing. I have this upside down pyramid hypothesis that I kind of came up with for my own internal learning um, right around the time when I realized there was like 5,000 species of grass. I was like, ooh, all right, <clears throat> identification is going to be a little more challenging than I thought. So I kind of start at the top with the very tip where it's like bird, grass, tree, mm -hmm. animal. And then from there, I just do like the top 10 most common of all the things, the top 25, <laughs> the top 50. And then right around the like top 100 of everything, I kind of hit my identification max. But I'm like super casual on all the IDs of all the things as possible. I think it's fun. I, I, I think that's a solid plan in general. I, uh, you know, it's funny because we... Actually, so coming up in our class that we teach, our intro horticulture class, the students are about to have to learn like plant names and identification, and they are all so mad at us. Like they're like, "I don't want to remember fifteen of these." I'm like, "All right, listen, y'all. <laughs> like there are thousands of plants out there. It's like you, we can do fifteen. We can do. We can yeah, do it. It's yeah. gonna be okay. <clears throat> Top twenty-five most common, and then you look pretty cool to like eighty percent of the people." And then the 20% that already know more than you, you're never going to catch up because they have a PhD <laughs> and like that one sedge that grows in that one spot. And you're like, you know what? You're a professional. You get this. Yeah. There's there's so few of the sedges <laughs> that they've given them all literal names. Like they, they know them by sight and, you know, smell. Uh, no, I get that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, looking at the background of your your shot here as we're recording, it seems like you have gotten pretty into plants as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it's one of those things where I really like being able to know what I'm looking at and what I'm experiencing. And I think, you know, you mentioned a cardinal and I think, um, one of the things that is really something that brings joy is being able to see and recognize and be excited about the, so the so-called common things. Like the minute I mm. go outside and I don't, get excited over seeing a cardinal or a chickadee or a maple turning colors, man, something has really left my life from that level of like childlike wonder that I think we lose right around the time when we have like 16 deadlines and too much to do and <laughs> not enough time. So it's really part of the intentionality of being able to like focus in on, on things that do bring you joy, even if you're not living this like super glamorous Instagram life and, you know, new jet setting experiences on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a good reminder. You know, I think that's such a good point. Um, I, and I, I kind of love that sort of the excitement or wonder of just common things around us. And you mentioned sort of the Instagram life as it relates to this. And that's sort of a double-edged sword from, from where I sit, because I think that you see all this stuff and people are like exploring and, looking at birds and plants and all this stuff on Instagram. And it's awesome in terms of like getting people interested. Like I, I tell people all the time that I'm a plant guy. And until the last like two or three years, I've literally never been cool. Like <laughs> no one has ever cared before that. I like post pictures of plants and cactus and stuff like that. But because of our social media and just some of the trends out there right now, people are like, Oh, you like grow this plant. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah. And it's one of those things that like it, it gets people excited, but then uh, kind of, I think to the point you were making, like everything is so curated and edited and like, 
I don't know, uh, professionally managed out there that you see on social media, it kind of you kind of forget sometimes that, oh, I could just go outside my apartment or my front door and there's a tree with a bird in it. And these things are special, too. Like, I think that's really yeah. important. It's, uh, you know, it's like that daily that daily dose of something that's not it's not it's not exotic. It's not curated. It's not, you know carefully groomed with backlit whatever uh there's a hashtag hashtag worst bird pick which i absolutely love because oh, it's I'm like down. you know when you look at pictures in in field guides everything is so beautiful and glossy and you're never gonna see that in real life it's like half a wing and like the side view of a head <laughs> as it flies away and you gotta be like oh i think that could have been maybe i think holistically i got a robin feel Mm-hmm. And maybe that's all you get. And so the worst bird pick is probably the most realistic bird pictures that are not photo glam quality. <laughs> I love just that. Terrible silhouettes, like a blurry butt flying away. And you're like, oh, it's a red <laughs> tail. I see it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to have to st- try really hard not to put blurry butts in the episode title. I'm writing it down <laughs> and putting a star by it. So when I'm editing this later, I'm not like, that's a great idea. I need to. If you, to you could say blurry bird butts. Blurry bird butts. I, I actually do like that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what, what ends up in the title when this comes out. I've already got a few things <laughs> jotted down. Um, So you mentioned working, you said with KC Trees. Is that right? Or Casey yes. or KC? Casey. Okay. KC Trees. is a, It's a DC nonprofit with the goal to retree the DC um, tree canopy by, I think, okay. 2050. But please don't quote me on that. Sure. Their goal is to retree the DC canopy. Okay. So, you, I mean, you just went out, planted trees, and, and got out in the community. Did you find, and, and, you know, this may be, and I don't know exactly what your role was with them, but did you find a lot of support from just the people on the streets as you were doing this was it something that i think maybe i'm asking like does the public care about that from your experience is that something you think that the people that live in these areas and work in these areas found to be valuable yeah um in my current uh in my old role with these uh, with casey trees i was a, a tree planter and a tree advocate so i would do tree planting but i would also go and talk to like developers or, you know, the general development councils and say, hey, you know, you're planning on putting in this new development, you know, in your plans, you're going to cut down these trees uh, and you're not replanting anything. Maybe if you just shifted everything a little to the left, you could keep the trees, which is going to drive up your property values. You know, it's a win for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Street trees, clean air, clean water, higher property values, lower crime, you know, kind of pitch it to the developers from a social and economic standpoint. But in terms of, and in my current role, I'm also a volunteer for the Forest Preserves of Cook County and Open Lands, which are both kind of in my new backyard, if you will. I relocated mm-hmm. from D.C. to the Chicago area. And I would say most people like their street trees. They really, they see them every day. It's part of your landscape. It's part of something that you maybe watched grow up from when it was planted 20 years ago to now. Um, and so whenever there's pruning or, you know, utilities come through to do some some pruning or power line maintenance, people feel very strongly about it because they want to make sure that people are doing right by their street trees. And so there's a lot of people that come out and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, there was a, 
a storm event a couple weeks ago, you know, are you guys going to come and take care of that tree? I see that broken branch. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of concern and care in the community about their street trees. Um, And people generally come out and help support and they'll like come together and, you know, take care of the watering schedule or um, a lot of people take advantage of like private homeowner subsidies to, you know, plant or offset the cost of planting trees in their own yards. Um, And everybody kind of has their own different goal for planting trees. But for the most part, everybody's super excited about it. That's cool to hear. And from just a standpoint of, you know, the way that our society has kind of developed, you know, maybe over the, I I don't know, it's hard to put a time frame on it, but certainly over the last 50 or 60 years as people move out of more rural and forested and, you know, agrarian areas in the cities, you know, urbanization still going through the roof. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and we just build up and we build more concrete and we increase heat load at a kind of a global scale on all of these things. I think that, and this is something we've talked about on the show in different capacities before, but we forget how much we have like grown up as a species just in the forest. And, and it's, it's cool. Uh, the, the, I see it two ways. Cause in, 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 on the science side of it, like reading about climate change and all this stuff, it's easy to kind of get down about it and think, oh, it's too little, too late, blah, blah, blah. And you hear all the uh, catastrophizing in the media about it sometimes. But the fact is that I see so many people that are just really incredibly excited about the plants in their world and, and the the trees in their lives, so to speak. And I, that's exciting for me to hear and see. Yeah, you know, and and that's one of the things I think that really drives the conversation on urban forests and urban forestry right now is the recognition that as more and more people are moving out of rural environments into the cities, it's, it's a concrete jungle. And how do you make it more livable, more green? How do you make it more green in all the senses, right? Like it's not just adding more street trees, but it's making sure that there's more natural materials around you that, You know, there is opportunity for us to feel connected to the natural world, even as we live in cities and are further from, you know, traditional large scale forests. The street trees in your backyard and on the streets are part of an urban forest. And I think that's something that maybe not everybody understands is that urban forests are a forest like it is functional. It functions. It has climate solutions and people take care of them just that forest is managed. Yeah, that's really cool. And and the fact that people can take ownership of that is really, I think, interesting. And, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of a, an interesting sort of parallel. And y- you mentioned that, you know, your your background and your schooling and all of that is in sociology, anti-poverty and, and equity kind of stuff. Do you see a strong connection between that whole aspect of your life and the, the stuff that you studied and that whole realm of... um I guess complexity just in our our society and some of these projects to regreen and and um, fix some of the ecological problems we've caused through urbanization. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of different facets to that, and one of them is there's a current movement right now spearheaded by um, our partners at American Forests, and they run the Tree Equity Program. And it's very much designed to look at the unequitable distribution and access to trees and green spaces. 
But the idea is basically once upon a time, as we were building cities, cities were built along unequitable urban planning roadmaps. Mm-hmm. And so now that we're in a position to be reimagining our cities and rethinking how we interact with green space in a city environment, the idea is that access to trees and green spaces should be equitable. And there's initiatives going on across cities in the United States to drive what we're calling tree equity, which is making sure there's equitable access to those trees and green spaces and the associated climate and environmental impacts of those street trees. It should be a benefit for all and not just specific sections in cities. Absolutely. And, and you know, a, a lot of the data and research shows and suggests and I feel like it's a little bit of common sense, too, that as the climate changes and as we start to experience impacts from that, both in urban and other settings, it's going to be the folks that are most marginalized already that are going to be hit the hardest first. And so I, I think that you're right. And I think it's important that that folks listening and that folks thinking about this understand that they're not really two separate issues. I think I think addressing climate change is to address social equity and, and some of these other things as well. Our goal is to really build awareness of the ways in which forests, forest products and markets all kind of feed into us all having a role to play in addressing and alleviating global climate issues. Actually, that's really what kind of drove me into this entire career shift from uh, anti-poverty work into forestry in the first place, because I was working on um, research uh, data, you know, poverty's or indicator data showing shifts in poverty impacts. And so, you know, I would call people and say, hey, last year you had 40 people on food stamps. This year you have 400, you know, was that a slip mm-hmm. of the finger? We've, you know, we've all hit too many zeros late at night, filling out a grant report. Yeah. And they'd say, no, the, uh, the local paper mill closed. So everybody in the town is now on food stamps. Like that was the employer. And so, you know, on the flip side, I was working with, um, you know, inner city asthma and hospitalization rates. And you'd see them go down over a period of years and you'd call and they'd say, oh, we did a big street tree campaign or we hmm. put in a park um, or we did, you know, brownfield restoration. So you could see the trends in the data. And so I was able to kind of make the connection working in anti-poverty data on how important it was for us to have forests and forest products and markets than just access to these things for our own social and economic well-being. That's so cool. And that's such, again, it's such a complex issue, but man, that's, that's such a cool thing to be able to address and sort of just dive into. And, and um, actually, I think this is a good point. We'll take a quick break. We'll uh, hear a trailer for something and hear about our sponsor. And uh, then we'll, I think when we come back, let's really dive into Forest Proud and what Forest Proud is and where it started and your role with it and, and how y'all are trying to address all these things that we've been talking about. Well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll. How you doing today? This has been a good one, hasn't it? Ray is a lot of fun and very smart, and I've really enjoyed talking to her. Hope you've enjoyed listening. I want to start off by thanking our sponsors. Forest Proud. Forest Proud, once more, is a nonprofit organization focusing on forest-based climate solutions. They link industry and the public and research and everyone else who talks about 
trees and climate change and the intersectionality between the two and provide a lot of great resources. It's a wonderful organization. Go over to forestproud.org and check them out. They're all over the social medias as at Forest Proud. Really well branded. Really well. And if you want some really cool Forest Proud swag, go to forestproud.org slash shop and use the promo code PLANTHROPOLOGY at checkout for 10% off your order. Also, thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show and letting me do the weird thing that I do. I could not do this without you. And it is, I'm, 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 and I am eternally grateful. For sure. Hey, you should also connect with Planthropology. Get on your social media devices and search for Planthropology. Yes, my friends, that is Anthropology with a PL slapped sillily, sillily in a silly sort of way on the front. And uh, look for the green background of the bristlecone pine. That'll be me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on TikTok as at the plant prof. You should check that out too. It is a whole lot of good nature nonsense. And I make, I just knocked something off my desk. I'm leaving that in. I uh, make fun of five-minute crafts a lot, which is a thing you should be able to get behind. So uh, connect with Planthropology. If you've got ideas for the show, uh, complaints, please don't say them too loudly at me or I'll cry. But you can email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com. You can also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, or anywhere else. If you're curious and you want to get me a gift, I wear a size five-star rating adorned with very nice words. Also, if you want to support the show in another way, there's some ways you can do it. Uh, tell a friend. That's the best way to help a podcast grow. Word of mouth is still number one. Um, you can also make a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology. It'll get used on coffee. And uh, you can buy some Planthropology swag. Head to planthropologypod.com, click on merch. It'll take you to my Redbubble store, and you'll see all the cool designs. Is that all? I think that's all. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. I hope you are anyway. Um, and another show that you're going to enjoy that's coming out soon is the smartest podcast on the planet by that guy, Chad, from the Podfix Network. So uh, whether you like it or not, I'm playing a trailer at you. So prepare your ear holes for some words by Chad in five, four, three, two, one. Okay, let's hit it. Do you love podcasts? Do you love trivia? Well, let me tell you about my new trivia podcast, the smartest podcast on the planet, hosted by that guy, Chad. I have scoured the internet looking for content creators willing to step into my trivia battleground to fight head-to-head to prove to them and their loyal followers that they are the smartest if only until the next episode comes out. Tune in spring of 2022 to hear what happens when podcasters, influencers, YouTubers are forced to navigate my gauntlet of useless information. Head over to smartestpod.com. That's smartestpod.com. Get all the details you could ever want and more. And if you're wondering if the smartest podcast on the planet hosted by me is any good, no, it's not. It's fucking awesome. The smartest podcast on the planet is not actually the smartest podcast on the planet, but it is the smartest podcast on the planet hosted by that guy, Chad, and is also a proud member of the Podfix Network. Okay, well, we are back and we're going to talk now for the, I guess, the rest of our time just about what Forest Proud is and, you know, your role with Forest Proud, Ray, and where it came from and everything else. So can you tell us about the organization and, and how it started and what y'all aim to address? 
Sure. Yeah. So Forest Proud is a nonprofit and we are focused on building awareness and support for keeping forests as forests to fight climate change, which is a super ambitious, super nuanced <laughs> mission. Um, aim big, right? Yeah. Go big or go home. We all want to be part of something bigger. And I think that's really what attracted to me, attracted me to Forest Proud in the first place was this idea that you know, I was starting to see in my my former career the dots connecting for me between the things that I cared about: clean air, clean water, rural and uh, rural revitalization, urban poverty, inequity, um, but also things like birds <laughs> and being able to go outside and have some green space while living in cities. And so, you know, that's really what Forest Proud is about for us, right? Like, we believe forests provide powerful climate solutions. And forest management is how we deliver those solutions. And then the markets and products are how we sustain the solutions. Because at mm. the end of the day, without a full cycle of sustainability and, you know, forest management and its whole bioeconomy, its whole circular economy, everybody has a role to play, whether that's the consumer who's making conscious choices about paper versus plastic, or it's people who are managing forests for all kinds of products, paper, mass timber, making sure that they have clean air and helping keep watersheds healthy. So we all have a part to play. And I think that's that's really something that's missing for me in the larger conversation about climate. You know, you go on the news and it's like, it's all too late. There's nothing we can do. And if you can't make, you know, if you can't have these huge global impacts, then it's all meaningless and we should just stop trying. Whereas for me and for, for my organization, the thing that really drives us is the knowledge that we all have a part to play. And it doesn't matter kind of where you sit in the spectrum of the supply chain or in the forest management cycle or you know, what size land you might have. A lot of land in the United States is owned by small private landowners. Mm -hmm. The street trees count. <laughs> this is all <laughs> part of the forest management cycle. And so just being able to show, you know, forests are how we deliver climate solutions. And the ways in which we do that are place-based. They're scalable. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, two street trees or 40 acres or 4,000 acres. At the end of the day, we all have that part to play in keeping forests as forests. And how we do that helps deliver climate solutions because we know trees store carbon, they clean air, they filter water, yeah. and forest products lock that away and keep it from going back into the atmosphere. Yeah, and that is, that, that is an ambitious goal, but it's so, like, I think what I really appreciate is that it's not just... How do I say this? You know, you, you talked about focusing on solutions and how when we talk about solutions to these problems. It's it's really easy to say, just go plant trees, right? That's, yep. That's, that's easy to say. Exactly. But there is so much like ecology and economics and sociology and everything else that goes into just go plant a tree that you have to have actually practical means and practical like pathways for those things to actually happen. Right, exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, for us, planting a tree is step one. Mm -hmm. And that's even like halfway through the cycle, depending on where you look <laughs> at the cycle of forestry, you know, it's like site prep and making sure that everything's right, right tree, right place. You don't want to plant a huge tree and then it grows in the power lines, then you have to cut it down. Yeah. But it's also making sure that, you know, 
what happens if you have a bunch of street trees that you planted to meet your canopy goal and then there's a, a hurricane or some sort of event that damages your trees? We've I know you've had a bunch of forest pest folks on here talking about the impacts yeah. of climate change and you know invasive species. So what do you do with all these trees that are drought damaged or you know dying from these invasives without the full cycle of sustainability? Even if you plant the tree and then it has to come back down, what happens to it? Right. And that's really where the sustainable forestry cycle comes in, where it's like all of these street trees that are coming down because of emerald ash borer. How are you going to make that into something that is part of a solution instead of having to be taken down? And now the city has less street trees. There's less pollute. There's less air being filtered. You know, there's less water. What do you do with these trees when they inevitably have to come down, whether it's just age or disease or the inevitable effects of urban development? You yeah. have to have the next step in place. And those steps are what really make trees in the entirety into a solution. Because just yeah. planting a tree isn't the solution. The solution is the entire cycle of the life of a tree and beyond. Yeah, and that's such a fascinating way to think about it because I, you know, uh, you you mentioned how things come down and they have to go somewhere, right? And, uh, and we forget sometimes that I think we're part of this big closed system, and that you know the the first law of thermodynamics still kind of applies that all these <laughs> things are not created or destroyed; they hang around in some form, whether that's being burned and turning back into carbon dioxide that ends up in the atmosphere, or you know. Uh, maybe being composted and mulched to feed the soil again or turned into houses or whatever else. Like I think, I, I think we have to think of, as you kind of say, the big picture and this whole life cycle and economic cycle that goes through all of this. And it's super, it's super exciting because once you start digging into some of the, the, the innovations of what can be done with trees, right? Because there's only so many of them. There's so much, there's only so much land that can support trees. And the biggest threat to forests is deforestation. And the biggest threat for deforestation is land conversion. So mm -hmm. land is not a forest anymore. So you have to make it economically viable to keep land as forests, because if it's more tax incentives to sell it, than keep it, then sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So how do you help build those economic bridges to help people who want to keep their forests, forests, forested, um, you know, and, and in terms of the urban, the urban, the urban woods cycle is, a, it's a really <laughs> cool thing. Um, there's an urban wood movement right now that, that we're part of with, with forest proud. And the idea there is to create a market for urban wood. Like what happens in hurricane damaged events or huh. when your street tree has to come down? Um, can you get that into an urban sawmill? Can you buy furniture or a charcuterie board from the maple or the oak up the street that had to come down? And then you put that product back into the community as furniture or, you know, a wooden spoon that you can buy from a tree that had to come down from Mississippi State University campus. That's really such a cool idea. Um, and, and those are the kinds of like uh, sentimental things. Like it's sentimental. Like I have, you know, if, if someone has lived in a community their whole life and, you know, a lot of times we grow up with the nature around us, like on a large scale, but in a, in a, you know, miniature scale too, that, 
you know, oh, my granddad planted this tree or my best friend's mom planted this tree or whatever. And it lives with you your whole life. And then, oh, I get to sit on it or whatever long term. That's that's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, the urban wood movement is is super cool. And it's really looking at kind of how do you get value both from from an economic standpoint, there's a bunch of local urban woodworkers that are mm-hmm. kind of working with their local, you know, not a not farm to fork, but I guess tree to table. Yeah, I like that. Um, on how to kind of take the local urban wood that might otherwise end up, you know, chipped and delivered in wood chips or composted. So really just making sure that anything that is high quality is going to continue to store that carbon and be turned into something useful. So again, driving that circular economy, and it's all about the scale. You know, it may be a a single person doing some local wood, and it may be a bigger shop, but they're all, again, part of that solution. That's really cool. I do some woodworking, so this is all like, like, okay, how do I do this here? Who do I talk to? That's awesome. Um, So let's talk. We've talked a lot about, I think, the uh, overall goals of, of Forest Proud and like even some of the specific strategies y'all use, but can you tell me a little bit more about the organization itself? Like when did it start? Like what, what like practical things and like organizational things do y'all do to address all these goals you have? Yeah. So we got started in gosh, 2016. So we're, we're babies in the grand scheme of nonprofits. (laughs) Um, But we got started by a group of thought leaders in the forest sector that came together and said, listen, we're really good at talking about our specific niche, our specific product, our specific place-based strategies and initiatives. But what we're not that great at is telling our story outside of our own choir. So the minute you start, you know, jargon dropping and silviculture terminology and, (laughs) you know, I work in this space and I'm still like, all right, yeah, that's that's complicated. People glaze over start, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be that person at a party that people are like, oh, good. You're going to spew some carbon equations at me. I just, <laughs> <laughs> great. It's going to walk away. So our, our job really is to take the innovation, the research, the science, the stories, the impacts from the forest sector and re reconnect that to our audiences who may be interested in carbon and climate. They may know about, you know, I like to joke that the carbon market is like an NFT or the Bitcoin world. Like you've heard (laughs) the term and that's really, you're like, it's a thing. I think you can buy it. And I don't really understand it beyond that. Right. So our job is to really take things that are super complicated, super nuanced, super regional and reintroduce it to people in a way that really can stand out from like babies and cat pictures and let you know (laughs) that like the forest sector exists. We're doing good work. We're driving and growing climate solutions and we're, we're doing it in a way that is impactful and everybody can access that. Like you can be part of the solution too. And I think that's something that is often missed from the larger conversation. Like what can I do? What can I tell my friends? What can I tell people that maybe want to buy my product? How can I help? How can I help show that your individual choice is part of something bigger that has that impact? And so we started the hashtag forest proud campaign and platform to show this sense of community. Like we all have a part to play. Like if you look up hashtag forest proud on Instagram, 
there'll be just so many random pictures that show up. It'll be like, uh, here's an urban sawmill. Here's somebody with a new chainsaw. Here's a picture of a laptop, somebody getting, you know, going to a business meeting. And here's a picture of a fungus growing on a tree because we're really Mm -hmm. excited about it. And (laughs) this is all a valuable way to engage with forests and forest products. Like going out into a forest, you're, you're proud of that. Like you feel some kind of way when you're part of a solution. And so our job at hashtag forest proud is to really show people online that are already engaged in carbon and climate solutions, how we as a sector are part of that solution and how they can also help grow steward and champion forest climate solutions. That's awesome. So do you work more with like businesses and large organizations? Is there, uh, you know, aspects of this that just the average Joe, whoever walking around on the street, looking at trees and birds uh, can sort of interface with like, who's your, who's your target market, so to speak. Our job is to really reach out to people who are 18 to 34 year olds, plus or minus. I may be on the plus (laughs) side of my own target demographic. Um, (laughs) And really, you know, really help them connect with what they're looking for. So if you're looking to get connected to a policymaker organization that's going to be voting for, you know, solutions that help promote forest climate markets or something, we can point you in the right direction. If you want to buy a Forest Proud t-shirt and rock it and then hope someone sits next to you on the bus and asks you what that (laughs) t-shirt means, we have a shop. Um, But we also, we really help kind of drive people where their interests lie. Like, in, the, in this day and age, when you Google search something, it's like 4,000 results. You don't know what's real. You don't know what's fake. You don't know where to start. So our job is to really use forestproud.org and the hashtag forestproud campaign and community to say, here are voices and people and places and initiatives and products that are part of the solution. And if you want to learn more about mass timber and the future of green buildings, then go check out these 12 people that are doing really cool things with their organization. If you want to buy a local wooden charcuterie board, (laughs) go check these guys (laughs) out. You know, how can you, how can you go somewhere? Do you want to get a job that works in a forest client or in a forest products company? We need accountants just as much as we need foresters. So Mm -hmm. how do you kind of help people see all the different ways that you can go deeper into being part of a forest climate solution, whether that's buying a product, voting for the thing, you know, renting in a mass timber building, buying a street tree or getting one subsidized by your local county government. Right. Or just, you know, seeing that there's other people out there who are saying and doing things because social media is a lot like screaming into the void. (laughs) Like you just hope that somebody hears you. And so the idea with the hashtag Forest Proud is that we're a community and it's latent. And so with the idea of Forest Proud is that we're all proud of the work that we do to advance forest climate solutions, no matter where we sit in that sustainable forestry cycle. And Forest Proud is the community by which we are like, I see you doing your part. I see you and I will retweet you. (laughs) That's that's awesome. And so, you know, y'all have been doing sort of a big, social media push and just outreach push, which is, this is kind of what this is a part of, right. And, uh, reaching new audiences and things like that. So if the people listening to this want to sort of get plugged in with helping promote it, I mean, do you just think 
go out and take pictures of trees and talk about what you're doing and use the hashtag? Are there specific things that our listeners could really be doing to get connected with Forest Proud and just with some of the uh, advocacy that y'all do? Yeah. So obviously first step is use the hashtag Forest Proud. Tag us. We're on all the social channels at Forest Proud. Uh, it's difficult to not find us. <laughs> um, I, I think the other thing is to just, you know, look for your local forest products, look for more information on carbon markets, look at who is involved in the full cycle of planting trees. Like what's your on-ramp to getting engaged and what does engagement look like? Cause there's so many different pathways and we're really here to help guide people in the direction that they want. We know not everybody wants to read a 45 page white paper on carbon equations, <laughs> but if you do, boy, do we have them for you. <laughs> so as you're looking for a direction and, and things to do and, and really kind of deepen that understanding of the connections between carbon benefits and climate solutions and forests, we really see ourselves as a partner in helping advance that understanding and, and helping promote the huge diversity of products and possibilities in the sector to a larger scale, because without all of us doing a portion of our part, impactful, meaningful climate action is just not scalable. Yeah. Wow. That's, and that's really powerful too, that, um, the, it, cause we think about, I think on an individual basis, like our impact is, uh, you know, limited. And I think that that, again, that message kind of gets thrown at us a lot. Um, but th the fact is that, like you mentioned, we can't scale these things without the individuals and small companies to big companies and everyone in between really diving into it. Yeah. You know, and I, I know people that manage that one person managing 5,000 acres. That's a one person <laughs> managing 5,000 acres. You that know? makes me sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a job that an individual is doing and they've got a team and they're stewarding climate solutions. So, and from that land, who knows what's going to come off that land paper, your next Amazon box. Yeah. You know, clean water. <laughs> we all need that. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. That's so cool. And I love the overall mission and the overall goal. And so I mean, that was one of the reasons why, you know, when you reached out, uh, you know, a few months ago, I was really excited to, to, start just being a part of this in, in what, you know, I, I just sit here in front of a microphone and I talk at people for anywhere from 30 to a hundred and not a hundred. That's not how that works. 30 <laughs> to 60 minutes. I don't understand numbers. I'm a plant guy. Um, but I was excited to be a part of it in some small way. Cause I think the, the impact or the potential impact is huge and it's an important goal. I think it's really cool. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, I'm glad to hear that, that it, and it seems like you really enjoy what you do. It seems like you, you're really passionate about it, which is, which is also cool to see. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's really what drives me and my team and, and all of my members is knowing that we are part of something that matters. And I think that's what yeah. I tell my friends. That's what we really try to emphasize on social media and with our, you know, our partnerships and, and the ways in which we show up, we're really trying to show the future of forests and the future of our, our climate. They're so integral and we all have that part to play. And so waking up and knowing that it is meaningful is a huge deal, especially now. Like, why else do you work? Huh. Yeah. No, I mean, really, really, truly. Super cool. 
So, okay, I know you listen to the show uh, at least a little bit, and uh, you know that probably I like to throw questions at the at my guests at the end of the episode. And normally it's one, but as we've been talking, I've written down three, so I have three questions for you. Right. And yeah, I'm just gonna put you on the spot. So the first one is is maybe a, a little bit. I don't know, weightier than some of them, but, but okay. We throw the word sustainability around so much, so much. Everyone says, Oh, is it sustainable? Is this sustainability to, to the point where in some, some cases it almost feels like it doesn't mean anything. Right. If you, it's like, if you say the same word too many times in a row, at some point it's like, I don't, this, this word doesn't make any sense to me. Right. It's just gibberish. What is sustainability to you? What does that mean to you? I'm I'm leaving that exasperated sign <laughs> in too. Well, I mean, I got 30 seconds, right? That's your average attention span on social media, right? Sure, yeah. Oh, that's a hard one. You should definitely leave that irritation in there. Oh no, I'm definitely going to. It's great content. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I think it's commitment to ensuring that the solution that is a sustainable one is in place for people and planet now and for the future. If there is Great no answer. now and there's no future, then it's not sustainable. I think that's an excellent answer. <laughs> that's I've I've heard it put a lot of ways, and I love that. That you know, when we talk about sustainability, a lot it's like, okay, what is this going to do in a hundred years and fifty years? And you know, where I am in Texas, it's all about water sustainability. How do we have like you know keep our water conservation for fifty years? But what doesn't get talked about is the now. You have to be able to use the product now, too, or the thing now, too. Or I love that. I'm going to think about that all day. I like that a lot. <laughs> well done. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that's I, – I don't know if you can tell. I'm not very good at – like I don't have a poker face. That I was really excited about that. <laughs> um, okay. My second question for you is – uh, you know, you have a lot of houseplants. And I think last time we talked, you panned around and showed me your houseplants. What is your favorite houseplant? I'm leaving that one in too. <laughs> oh, that's hard, man. That's like, that's like when people child. ask me what my favorite tree or my favorite bird is. I'm like, but like, like a spring warbler or <laughs> like an understory shade bunch, tree. Yeah. I have a lot of favorites. Um, people used to start to try to take notes when they got to know me, like, oh, her favorite thing is. And then they were like, it's just all favorites. <laughs> hmm. Ah, my favorite. I would definitely have to say it's going to be the pothos and philodendrons because okay. I have yet to kill them. There you go. No one that I know has killed one. And I think there's nothing more defeating to people who are just starting out on their houseplant journey than killing something right away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so every time I go online and it's like maidenhair ferns are the best beginner houseplants, you're like, no. No, don't, don't. Oh, the humidity needs. <laughs> don't do it. But I also really like Phalaenopsis orchids. Okay. I've I've hit the sweet spot. I've, they're all blooming right now. So anything that blooms is a bonus in the houseplant world. I agree. That's awesome. And when you can get like a bunch of them to bloom at the same time, it's even better. And that's and that's a feat. I don't know if the if a lot of folks listening like realize this, but orchids tend to be pretty temperamental. Like you can keep them alive. 
but to really push them to bloom is is it's a challenge. You've you've done something for sure. <clears throat> I mean, if I may brag slightly, all seven of my Phalaenopsis orchids are currently blooming for the second year in a row. That's impressive. At the I same time. One of- I killed one in the greenhouse not too long ago, oh, no. so you're you're beating me for sure. Uh, I have a you know twenty thousand square foot greenhouse, and like you get this dead orchid, and like oh, <laughs> you're like oh just it's fine, just pay I'm no just gonna, attention to the orchid just, over there. <laughs> yeah, I'll give my PhD back. It's like I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not using it. I don't need it. Um, okay, and so the last question that I always ask, uh, you know, all of my guests is for the folks listening. If you had a piece of advice, and it can be about forests or plants or conservation or just life in general, what what would you want to leave folks with? Well, you know, personal and professional lives these days for pretty much everyone have blurred together. So I'd probably leave with a personal and a professional takeaway. Sure. uh, Is that, you know, we all have a part to play. And that's what drives me. That's what drives my organization. That's what drives my members. That's what drives my friends (laughs) to listen to me talk about forests all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think knowing that we have solutions that are impactful now and can be scaled up for the future is hopeful. And I think that's what gives me hope, especially now. And hope is more important than ever. And I think if nothing else, knowing that forests offer powerful climate solutions and that we are working and are actively growing and managing climate solutions now Mm-hmm. should give us all hope because there's no point in talking about sustainability in a hundred years if we're not doing it now. That's yep. I, I can't think of a better place to honestly leave that. That's great. Huh? It's another thing I'll think about all day. Um, Ray, that was awesome. And and it's funny cause 50 minutes goes pretty quick uh, or it does for me anyway, when I'm, when I'm doing these and I really enjoyed talking to you. That was fun. Um, where all can we find you plug, plug all your stuff, you know, for forest proud. And, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the places, but go ahead and throw out all your, your plugs for things. Yeah, we are super easy to find. You can find us at forest proud, uh, on all the social platforms. You can find us at forestproud.org. You can find us under hashtag forest proud. And, uh, yeah, we're pretty much anywhere, any social platform on, on the internet, hashtag forest proud. It's awesome. Branded. Nice and easy. <laughs> well, Ray, again, that was great. Um, just thanks for what you do. And and again, I appreciate you and Forest Proud and, and just being able to work with you all a little bit and, and be a little part of this. Yeah, we're excited. I think, you know, hello, hello, listeners. We're super excited to have you guys join us in our in our journey and our platform of building community of people who are excited about trees and forests as climate solutions and trees are i hear they're maybe real maybe not real based on some of your earlier episodes but who can really say (laughs) who can really say um but i think you know for us the more people that that know and understand that forests and forest management and markets and products all have a role to play in climate solutions i think that's really what we're looking for that's what we're hoping for we're we're working to make that community stronger very cool very cool well uh for those of you listening i hope you'll go check out forestproud.org follow them on all the socials all the links will be in the show notes and uh thanks as always for listening y'all are cool and we'll talk next time 
Hey, isn't Ray great? I think Ray's great. So thank you so much, Ray, for coming on and chatting with me and sharing a little bit of your wisdom because it seems like you have a lot of it and I'm glad to just get to get a glimpse into that. Y'all, thank you so much again to Forrest Proud and the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for sponsoring the show. Could not do this otherwise. Thank you most of all to you, the listener. Um, It is just amazing that you have taken this journey with us so far, and I'm glad that you're still coming along for the ride. It means a lot to me. You know how much I love you folks. And uh, you know that I think the world of you for sure. We've got a lot of good content coming at you. I think next week is our next Q&A episode. So if you have questions to send in, send them my way. I'd love to hear them and I'd love to answer them on the show. And then the last episode of the month will be about trees in our next installment of Tree Talk. But thank you for joining me. Y'all keep being really cool plant people. Keep being kind to one another. If you haven't been kind so far, maybe give that a shot. It's pretty nice. It's pretty great. I think you'll enjoy it. You know, again, that I love you folks. Uh, Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.